Can you say amen to that? Amen. Praise the Lord and thank you very much. Boys and girls, head out to Children's Church, ages four years through fourth grade, please. As I'll be gone on next Sunday morning, uh, Jason and Katie won't be on vacation also. Uh, Brother Brian is going to preach next Sunday morning and next Sunday night, both services. I know you look forward to that. So I'll pray for him as he prepares to preach next Sunday morning, next Sunday night. And uh, with several of us gone, I hope that all of you will be faithful and bring a ton of friends with you, okay? Take our place and fill this place up, if you will, next Lord's Day morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We began our study of the last half of this book last Sunday morning and then continued that last Sunday night. Looking at verses 1, 2, and 3, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul lovingly beseeches these people, he exhorts these people to make sure that their lifestyle, their conversation is worthy, it's equal to, it's becoming to, they're calling. They're calling to salvation. They're calling to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They're calling to, to not only receive him as Savior, but then to love him and to serve him. And so he exhorts these people to live the type of life where how they live outwardly matches what they are inside. And that they might therefore make sure that they're calling to salvation, they're called to, to love and serve the Lord. It matches up with their conduct. My wife just last night was saying that she found a, a verse in Scripture, just one phrase in Titus, uh, just yesterday, I believe, that we might um, adorn the gospel of God. We might be adorning to the gospel of God. And I said, you know, that's a great verse. She told me that about midnight this morning, okay? And I thought, that is a great verse to study, that our lifestyle might be that, that is an adornment that adorns the gospel of Christ. So that they just ties in what we taught and preached our last Sunday morning. Then last Sunday night, we looked at verses 2 and 3, and we said that really the command here, the mandate, is in verse 3. So we wanted to study that first, and we did. God says that we, are in, we should work hard. Endeavoring means to work hard at, remember? We should really work hard at keeping. That means to guard or protect. We should be working hard at protecting the unity of the Spirit. The oneness, unity means oneness, the oneness of the Spirit. And how do we do that? In the bond of peace. So it takes effort. It takes work. Spudazzo, that word endeavoring. To work at it takes effort. To exert yourself to keep on guarding, protecting the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. It's that bond of peace that ties it all together. And now, so, we, so we're, we're told to do something. But before that, he tells us how we do that. We have to be something to do something. Or as we do something, we are something. There are four things in, verses, in verse 2 that we have to be. Things that have to be a part of our lives in order for us to keep the spirit of unity. And then in verses 4 through 7, he gives also the bigger picture. The seven unities that we have in mind, okay, to be kept. So look please, if you will, this morning at verse 2. With all lowliness, let's read 3 and then verse 2. Endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace... With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. So we have to be something as we do something. 
We have to make sure we are something. Number one, first of all, we must be lowly. This is not lonely now. See, I'll feel lonely once in a while. That's so I give time to that. That's not that. It's not loneliness. It's not that we're to be lonely. We are to be lowly. The word lowly, it's here with all, with all lowliness. The word, lo, the word lowly or lo, uh, lowliness really actually means humility. In fact, many translations, we believe the King James Version is the best translation. But if you have another translation, it may use the word humility there, okay? Because it, it, the word does mean humility. Humility always promotes unity. What is the opposite of humility? Out loud together, please. Pride. While humility promotes unity, pride hinders and destroys unity. Why? Because pride says, a proudful person says, look, I'm somebody. He, he, he or she, they demand their own way because I'm somebody. You know, I'm, I'm really, really important. You have to see this my way. You have to follow what I'm saying. Uh, trust me. I'm right about this. I'm right about everything, okay? I'm right about this. I know what I'm doing. I know my belief is right, and, and I know the position I'm taking here is right. I know how I feel about this situation is right, and so please notice, you know, I am important. Life is all about me, and that destroys unity. While a humble person says, no, life is not about me. Life is about the Lord, and life is about you. It's not, it's not, it's, humility is unselfish. Humility is not self-centered. Humility always thinks of the other person's interest before their own. It always sees the other person as being more important than self. So God says, first of all, if we're going to keep this unity of spirit and the bond of peace, we better make sure that we are lowly, that we have humility. And then we realize also as we study, and fight, it's so hard to cover all four in one message. One commentary I studied, and, it's, and, and these are big pages, okay, uh, there was uh, three pages just on the subject of being lowly, being humble. And I mean, it's just, in fact, I was reading it, at, uh, I was reading it in the waiting room at the doctor's, doctor's office with a pen in my hand, and I'm thinking, there's no way. You, you preach it, it'd take a month to preach this. Take a whole, whole message just to preach this one thing. I don't want to do that. I want to cover all four in one message. But there's a lot. When you think about the subject of pride and humility in the scriptures, I mean, is the Bible filled with things? Satan filled with pride and cast out of heaven. Adam and Eve chose their way, Satan's way instead of God's way, you know, self first. I mean, it's just God hates the proud and gives grace to the humble. I mean, it's in Acts, it's in James, it's in 1 Peter, it's all through the scriptures, the importance of being humble, being humble. Uh, even Jesus Christ, what does he do? He provides the best example there ever could be of humility. One thing I want to mention before we look at a couple of verses about Christ. The reason that humility is so important for unity is because in humility we have our emotions under control, including the emotion of anger. If you think about it, rarely are we ever humble while we're angry. Can you say amen to that? Humility and anger just are not usually on the same page. It's, it's a proudful person who's an angry person. And when there's humility, the absence of that pride, there's always a control of emotions, but especially this emotion of anger. We think about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest into your souls. Just quickly, please, go back. Keep your finger here. We'll come right back. But go to John chapter 13. How can we think of humility on our part without thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ being our perfect example of humility? We see that all through the Gospels. Surely we see it most in John chapter 13. And before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were of the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now gone or put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands, that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, now watch this, he laid aside his garments... And took a towel and girded himself. This is the king of the universe. This is the creator of all things and all people. He, he arose from supper. He laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. You don't know it now, but you'll know it later. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that washeth needeth not, to be, not, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. You are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. Now watch this. After that, he had washed their feet, Take his garments and was set down again. He said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? You call me master. This is now the master. This is the Lord. He said, You call me master and Lord. And you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your master and your Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given unto you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. We'll just stop there. Now listen, folks. This is the master. This is the Lord who washes his disciples' feet. And it's not that he's saying to us, literally now, you need to have foot washing services and wash other people's feet. If churches choose to do that, that's fine. But he's saying, listen, you need to follow the example that I have set before you. And really, folks, it is, a, it is an example of humility, is it not? That the Lord, the master of the universe, would stoop down and wash his disciples, not their faces, not their hands. No, he washed their feet, their dirty feet. Would you go, please, to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. I don't know how we could preach on the humility of Jesus Christ without thinking of that passage in Philippians chapter 2. In fact, if you have a Schofield Bible before verse 5, it says the sevenfold self-humbling of Christ. The sevenfold self-humbling of Christ. Look at it. Listen to it. Think about it. Because it follows verses 1 through 4 where God tells us to be humble. If therefore there be any, we read this last week, if there be any therefore consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill you, my joy that you be like-minded. There it is, having the same love, being of what? Together, please. Being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing, not one thing be done through strife or vain glory, but in, what's the next word, please? 
lowliness, here it is. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things. That's what a proud person does. No, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of, next word, others. And if you think about looking on not yourself, but others, where does your mind go? It ought to go to Christ. Let this mind be in you. We should have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation, took upon himself what the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. He did what, folks, out loud? He, he humbled himself and became obedient. How obedient to his father's will? Obedient unto death. What kind of death? Even the death of the cross. There is no better picture. There's no better portrait. There's no better example of what humility is all about than take a good look at Jesus Christ. Now go back to our passage in Ephesians because God says that's the first thing that we have to have. That's the first trait we need. That's something we need to be. We need to be lowly with all lowliness. And the next word here is meekness. Now, let me say this. All these, these four words, the meanings, they're really going to overlap. I'm going to say some things and you're going to think, well, he's kind of already said that. Well, it applies to this too. You'll see how it all fits together. Kind of one results in the other, but not just results in the other. They just all combine in one package. They're so similar, but there's something a little different about all of them. He says, with all lowliness and meekness. What is meekness? The word meekness means literally gentleness or mild-spirited or self-control. You look up the word meekness in a Greek dictionary, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get mild-spirited, really gentle, gentleness, mild-spirited, self-control. And you've heard this before. It's nothing new. I'll start it. You finish it. Weakness is not... Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Meekness is not weakness. Oh, yeah, he's, just, he's a weakling. He's just a weakling. No, he, he could be just really meek, okay? Uh, meekness is not weakness. You know what meekness is? Meekness is literally controlled strength. You say, a meek person ever get angry? Yeah, a meek person. Jesus was meek, amen? But he got a little upset a few times and threw those uh, people out of the temple, remember? Throughout the money changers. Moses, the Bible says, was the most meek man on all the earth. Did Moses ever get angry? A couple of times. Righteous anger, except one time God says, now because you got angry about something, you did this. He said, got a little problem here, okay? Moses, the meekest man on all the earth, the Bible says, and yet there was a time when he got angry. But meekness is basically anger under control, gentleness, being mild-spirited, self-control. It's the opposite of rudeness. We, we contrasted humility with pride. Now, what about meekness? What's the opposite of meekness? The opposite of meekness is rudeness. The opposite of meekness is self-assertion. The opposite of meekness really is harshness. Harshness. Can you see these words together? Rudeness, self-assertion, harshness. That's the opposite of meekness. And whenever you find there is some kind of problem, 
where there's a disagreement between two believers or a group of believers, when there is a lack of meekness, spirit-controlled meekness, you will notice there is harshness, there is rudeness, there is self-assertion on somebody's part. Somebody suggested this, and I think that is true. I've read it more than once, that meekness comes from a quiet, submissive spirit to the will of God. Knowing that whatever the situation is, whatever the problem is, God has a perfect will. God's will will be done. And God knows what's going to happen. So whether it's in your life or a whole situation, everything is going to be fine. Everything's going to turn out right because the key is God is in control. So a person can just quietly, gently wait on the Lord and say, I'll leave this with the Lord. And you can see how this fits in with lowliness, with humility. And then he says, endeavoring to keep, excuse me, with all lowliness and meekness. And the next word is long-suffering. Long-suffering. The Greek word literally means long-tempered. It's the opposite of having a short fuse, but it's not just an anger issue, as we'll see in just a moment here, okay? Because the, really the meaning, and I've said this before, the meaning is like, um, like long-suffering, emphasizing the long. I put it down this way. It's putting up with someone or putting up with something for a long time. So he says, well, my patience is wearing out. We'll talk about patience coming up, okay? God says, no, just, 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 just hang in there. Just suffer a little longer. Just try to be more understanding. Don't, don't go around with a chip on your shoulder. Don't try to settle it your way. Don't run. Don't quit. Don't fight. Don't whatever. Just, just, just be, be patient. Be humble. Be meek. And forbear. Long suffering. It is an outgrowth of humility. It's an outgrowth of gentleness. Why do we say that? Because when there is true spirit-filled humility combined with, along with spirit-controlled, spirit-filled gentleness, meekness, when those two are a part of my life, it is really easy. Can I say easier or easy? Take your pick. It's easier to be long-suffering. It's easy to forbear when there is a humble spirit, when there is meekness. That is so important for us to remember. So we have humility, we have gentleness, and we have being long-tempered, long-suffering. And by the way, there is a twin of long-suffering. And it's so close, it's hard to tell the difference between the two sometimes, even in the meaning of the word. Long-suffering has a twin, and it's called patient, or patience. Do you know the definition of patience? You say, I don't know what it is, but I know I need it. Well, I don't suggest you pray for it. And you have told you this also before. Why? Because the Bible says in Romans, tribulation bringeth patience. So if you feel like I'm just not a patient person, I just really need to pray for spirit-filled patience. I would suggest you don't spend a lot of time sincerely praying for it because there may come some testing some tribulation your way so for God to teach you the patience that you've been praying for. But the word patient literally means in the scripture to hold up under or to endure. 
to hold up under or to endure. When you think of patience, holding up under and enduring, there are so many verses in the Bible, it's just shocking, it's just amazing to think. Where would you ever begin? If I wanted to mention one, which one would I mention? This word patient. It's all through the scriptures. The one that I remember the one is found in, the best is found in James 1. Go there just for a minute, please. Go to the book of James, chapter 1. I could quote these verses, but I think it's good for you sometimes to read along. Here's the verse that always comes to my mind first. James, chapter 1. James, verse 1. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So he greets these Christians who are dispersed everywhere because of persecution. And this is his first command to them, but it's an encouraging command. He says, my brethren, count it all. What's the next word? Count it all joy. Hey, that might, I'm not saying is, that may be on that Wilds CD that we're playing before the services. Count it all joy. I'm not sure it's on there, but that's a good song the Wild sings off. Count it all joy. What does God say to these Christians who are suffering great persecution? He says, my brethren, count it all joy, consider it all joy when you fall into divers or a variety of many temptations or testings. Testings because of your Christianity. Testing because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Testing because you're a follower of the Lord. Testing because you said, I'm going to go with what Jesus said. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And you say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to follow the Lord no matter what comes. I'm going with Christ. And God says, all right, remember 2 Timothy, what, 4.12? Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So here comes a little persecution. Here comes a little test. And these people were going through that. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this. Why? Why should we count it joy? Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of our faith, it works patience. He says, oh, that's not the end. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So it helps us spiritually. It perfects us. It makes us mature. It makes us complete. Because when the testing comes, you don't fold. You don't cave into the pressure. Like I said, you don't run. You don't quit. You don't fight. Patience to just hold up under, to endure. And oh, that is, that is difficult indeed. That is not easy for any of us. It's not easy for you. It's not easy for me. But that's a key ingredient to humility. Go back to our text. Just when there is difficulty, when there's a problem, when there's a conflict... When unity is threatened, God says, just suffer long, be patient, hold up under, endure. And then look at the fourth one. We are to endeavor to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace with all, low, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. There's that word forbearing. Forbearing one another in love. What is that all about? Lowliness Meekness and long-suffering are all seen when a person forbears in love towards somebody else. Because really, it's a combination of two words, to bear and to endure. It's, it's again, it's that same concept of putting up with, forbearing, putting up with. Bear and endure going together, so it's a matter of being able to keep your eyes upon the Lord, trust the Lord, 
live in the, with a love of Christ for us in mind and our love as believers for others. And by the way, that's the key to forbearing in love. Why do we say that? Because it is an unconditional love. It's not a conditional love. It's not, I'll love you if you do this, or I'll love you if you agree, or I'll love you if you give me something, or I'll love you if you show some response to my love. I'll love you if, no, no, it's not that. It is an unconditional love. And you think about it now as it would even deal with, say, a local church situation. I'm so glad we don't have this problem around here. When you think about a local church situation, and maybe two people or a group of people not agreeing with each other in the body of Christ in a local church. You know, if, if there is an unconditional love, that no matter what the problem is, my love for you is not going to change. My love for you is not only unconditional, it is continuous. And you can respond however you choose to respond to our disagreement. But my message to you is, I will always love you. I will always care for you. I, 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 my love for you will not change no matter how this situation turns out. That is, that is huge when you think about the unity factor. I mean, so how short is our love? What, what does it take to, to end it? It amazes me how many times the love doesn't seem to be continuous. It doesn't seem to be unconditional. It's just like... Away you go, apart from each other, like you never loved each other. I, I struggle with that. I don't know how, how, that, how people can do that. And God says it's all a part of in, in endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. And really what he's saying is here that this kind of love, this unconditional, continuous love of a brother or sister, that leads to, it's a part of forbearance, which is always combined with and it goes along with Humility, meekness or gentleness, and also long-suffering. Sometimes it really helps as we endeavor to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. Sometimes it helps, to, it helps to keep our eyes on the bigger picture. The bigger picture. That's what verses 4 through 7 are all about. Just kind of want to introduce it now at the end of the message, and we'll pick it up there, the Lord willing, when we return. There is one body and one spirit. You see, verses 2 and 3, we'll go on. Verses 2 and 3 here, that's more of the individual specific thing, okay? The unity of spirit that we can, we can even have, right, say, here, right here in a, a local church with brothers and sisters in Christ. But sometimes when there is strife, when there is a disagreement, when there is a problem, it's best just to kind of step back and say, well, what's the bigger picture? You, you've heard the word skirmish, right? What's a skirmish? A skirmish is a, is a, a small battle. It's opposed to the war. Now, I'm not talking scrimmage. That's basketball terminology. That's like a practice game that really doesn't matter, okay? But a skirmish is when there is a battle, but it's not a, a big battle in the big picture. It's not a picture, a battle in, a, in, in the big picture, so to speak. It's just like a specific small battle in comparison with the big picture. And God says, as you endeavor to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace, you've got to have these four ingredients. You've got to have the humility. You've got to have the, the lowliness. You've got to have the forbearing in love. You've got to have being long-suffering. But remember, just be willing to look at the bigger picture. What's the bigger picture? He begins with this, verse 4. Verse, for there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. 
There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So let's just morning, let's just look at the first one. We'll save the other six, okay? The first one, God says, look at, remember, the one body. One body. Now here's the main focus. When you think of all we've seen in Ephesians so far, and then this first part of chapter 4, you know the focus is on the big picture. It's on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's on the, the picture of the body of believers in Jesus Christ, as we'll see again in this passage of Scripture. And so he says, look, step back from the little battle, so to speak, and put your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and the body of believers, and that's where he starts. There is one body. This is what we call the universal church. That includes the idea of the local church, but it's all believers, and I've mentioned this so often in our study of Ephesians, it's all believers in Jesus Christ, beginning with the day of Pentecost and ending with the rapture of the church, the bride of Christ, the body of believers. Universal because it's all around the world. As I was thinking of the message, preparing the message uh, a week or so ago, I thought, you know, as we pray for our missionaries and people are saved in different countries, the moment they're saved, they become a part of this one body. We may never meet them until we get to heaven. Think of the Petersons, you know, Abby's parents in Poland. We've not met any of their converts, but if they're saved, because they're converts, they're saved, then they're in the one body. They're all a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the building of Christ. And there how, many, how many universal churches are there, Scripture? You tell me, please, out loud. One. So well, I thought there was a Catholic church and a Christian church. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about world religions. We're talking about true believers in Jesus Christ, as we'll see in this passage, two weeks, the Lord willing, immersed into one body by the Holy Spirit. And God says, listen, remember, there's only one true church. So he says, get along. It's been mentioned several times already in Ephesians, right? We saw it in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Well, I'll go back and read it this morning. We saw it in chapter 2, verse 16. We saw it in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We saw it in chapter 3 again, verses 9 and 10. And listen, this is a truth. A great Bible truth that God says ought to promote unity, not now just in the universal church amongst all believers. You know, hard to know. You say, well, those converts out there in Poland. You say, well, I got a problem with some of those people. Really? Yeah, I just disagree with them. About what? I don't know. I just feel like I disagree, you know. Well, what's the conflict? Well, they're just, they're just strange. They're, they're different than we are. They, 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 they do this, I don't do that. They don't, they don't really, uh, they're not like this. I, I am like that. And it's like, you know, and, and we got in this discussion one time and, you know, we just found out we didn't agree. And, and it's just like, you know, we just, you know, we just kind of be like, we're really not close. Hey, listen, I'm not close with any of the believers in any of the countries where our missionaries are serving the Lord. Amen? I never met them. I'm close in my spirit. There's a oneness there. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But as far as do we get along on a daily basis, is there ever a split in a universal church amongst believers? No. No. We go start another church. No, you don't start another universal church. There's, there's one church. There's one body. That's where he starts. There's one body. And that one body 
just that idea of all believers in one body. Can, does this make sense to you now? That should encourage lowliness. That should encourage meekness. That should encourage long-suffering. That should encourage forbearing and love because there's really only one body. And that's where God starts. That's the universal church. And you can take that down to the local church level because, listen, everyone who's a member of this local church is a member because you have said, I have accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I have turned from my sin. I've repented of my sin. I heard that God loves me, that Jesus died for me, that he was buried and rose again, ascended back to heaven, one day to return, one day to set up his kingdom after the, the tribulation, a thousand year kingdom, and reign for, you know, that's what I've heard. And, I, and I, I found in the scriptures, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And I believed. I found in the scriptures, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and I called. And Jesus Christ saved me, and I got born again. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm in the body of Christ. God is now my heavenly Father. I have brothers and sisters in Christ. I've been saved. And as I've been saved, after I was saved, I was baptized to show forth my salvation. And then I chose of my free will to become a member, a part of, a local church, a group of believers gathered together in a locality, a given locality, to band together for worship and service and love. And this is my church family. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ at Harvest Hills Baptist Church. That's the local church biblical truth within the universal worldwide church. And thinking about the local church and the universal church should be a tremendous, tremendous help in helping us obey the command found in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Let's bow our heads, please. Always good for us to examine our own heart before the Lord and to say with the psalmist, search me, O God, Know my heart. Try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. And sometimes when we do that, if we're not careful, we just think about our actions. What did we say? Where did we go? What did we do? Was there a sinful action that I need to repent of Ask the Lord's forgiveness. We think about our actions many times. Do we really think much about our attitudes? Humility. Gentleness. Long-suffering. Forbearing in love. Those are attitudes. Things that we can be right with the Lord in and enjoy the fullness of God's spirit are things that we can be very much failing in. Failing in. Sinning. Because that's not me. With those things comes tremendous unity in church.
amongst believers in any given situation between any people. If any one of those four things is missing, it's like, whoa, heads up. It breaks down the unity. And the opposite of those things creeps in. And then you have a problem. So talk with the Lord about that. Our pianist is going to play through just a verse of a song. And you just stand with me, please, if you will, with your heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'll be down in front, of course, if anybody has anything you'd like to talk with me about or if I can be a help to you, feel free to come and meet me here. Anybody here today is not a Christian or not sure that you're saved, come and meet me here. We'll do whatever we can to help you today.